Well, as you've heard, our theme for the year is reimagine. And we're in a new series, which we started last week, God Encounters, and reimagining your relationship with God. Reimagining as we come out of this whole season and we are emerging, thank God, it would appear, well, what we should be, how we should respond, what God has for us, and breaking out, if it's happened to you, any limitations that this COVID experience has set in your mind and your thinking, and saying, God, what do you have for me? me, I want to reimagine what my life could be and what will be different. But for that to happen, we it shouldn't be a, a works program. It should come out of an encounter with God. Hence the series, God Encounters. And today I'm going to look at an encounter that Jacob had with God. And I've entitled this message, Wrestling with God. I love something that Moses said when he was, had just encountered God and the glory of God had passed by and he'd been hidden in the cleft of the rock and they were now going to move to go and enter the promised land. And Moses simply says, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from there. For your presence sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. And that really struck me so powerful, the whole thing of God's presence. And we kind of know this, but maybe we assume it too much. That, that really it's not our cleverness. It's not our gifts that have come from God and are wonderful. It's not our commitment. And all of that is wonderful. It's God's presence in our life that sets us apart, that makes the difference. And maybe you're feeling a little bit of dryness and tiredness and even discouragement through the season. Or maybe you're really fresh with God, but it's still a reminder we have got to encounter God. And when we encounter God, everything changes. Your agenda changes. Your priorities change. Sometimes even your opinion And most importantly, our hearts change. Just ask Jacob. And if you're not familiar with the story of Jacob, it kind of starts in Genesis 25 and follows through for quite a few chapters. But let me give you a quick summary of Jacob. He is one of the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. And Rebekah gave birth to two boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the firstborn and became a skillful hunter. He was like the real blokey guy out there doing the outdoorsy things. Jacob, the secondborn, was exactly the opposite. He chose to stay near the tents and learned how to cook. And Jacob was favoured by his mother. You could even say he was a bit of a mummy's boy. Sorry, Jacob. But Esau was favoured by his father because he was this outdoorsman, this man who brought back the venison and all the rest of it. And so Jacob's continually fighting for his father's favour. And he ends up with a little bit of encouragement from his mother, actually quite a lot, to be quite deceitful about how he goes about it. And he tricks Esau out of his birthright and then deceives his father, stealing the firstborn blessing, which was incredibly powerful and significant in this ancient culture. 
And he ticked his brother off so much that he fled in fear to a different country. And there he met his wife, and there's a whole story there that I don't have time to get into, but he encountered in his father-in-law somebody who was almost as tricky as him. But he outwitted him and deceived even his father-in-law out of most of his flocks and then leaves feeling it's time to go home. But he's in incredible fear that Esau is still angry with him because that's how he left it with his brother. And in knowing that some 20 years earlier, he cheated his brother out of the blessing and the birthright. And so he does something incredibly courageous, not. They add the stream and he sends his wife, children and all the flocks and the servants ahead. In other words, Let's see if that appeases Esau, who's come in with about 300 men to not welcome him, I don't think, but deal with him. And he is now alone. And I want you to hang on to that thought. Jacob is now alone. And then God shows up and picks a fight with him. He's fearful about the fight he's going to have with Esau, But now God shows up, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, and picks a fight with them. Let's just pick up the reading from Genesis 32, verse 24, and the next seven verses. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And I want you to catch this. He's sitting around a campfire perhaps, fearful about what's going to happen the next day. And suddenly out of the darkness, somebody attacks him. He doesn't know if it's a bandit. He doesn't know it's God. He doesn't know it's the pre-incarnate Christ, just this man. And he starts wrestling with God, but he doesn't know it's God. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, and clearly God's not using his power. He could have just smacked Jacob, in this wrestling match, God identifies as a desperation in Jacob, this tenacity, I'm not going to give up, this thing that had driven him all his life. And even though it had been misdirected, God loves that about Jacob. And so he can't overpower him. And so he touched the the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with a man. And then the man said, Let me go because it's daybreak. We'll look at that in a moment, what the significance of that. But Jacob replied, notice this desperation. I will not let you go unless you bless me. In all this wrestling, I think Jacob begins to realize this is not a band and trying to take something from me. This is not a random attack. There's something supernatural going on in this wrestling encounter. And the man asked him, What is your name? And I think there was a moment's silence. As Jacob then answers, it's Jacob. And the significance of who he was and what he was and what he had done. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, a prince with God, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Again, noticing this tenacity, I'm not going to give up. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, 
yet my life was spared. I saw God face to face. I have encountered God and something has shifted. Something has changed in my life. And that's what God wants for you and for me, for us to encounter Him, to shift things, to change things. So that it's not just outward effort, but it's something that comes from the inside out and transforms our lives. You see, in life, we're actually used to wrestling. I'm not talking about in the Olympic Games or anything like that or, you know, picking fights with people. But for many of us, we wrestle with our past and we wrestle with our future and we struggle with what's going on in the present. Many of us, in terms of wrestling with our past, are wrestling with who we become and who we think we should be. We wrestle with guilt sometimes. We wrestle with shame. And we wrestle with the fear of maybe I'll never be good enough. Maybe I'll never be whole. Maybe I'll never be acceptable to God and to others. And apart from wrestling with the circumstances around us, some of the biggest wrestling that goes on is the wrestling with ourselves as we struggle with what goes on in our heart and minds. And some of us wrestle with regret. And I want you to hear something this morning is, you and I can't go back and change the beginning, but we can start where we are and change the future if we encounter God. We can't go back in time, even though some of us would like to, and change the beginning, but we can wrestle with God from the point where we are and change the ending. David faced this after he had committed some grievous sins. And in Psalm 32 and verse three to five, he says, when I kept silent, in other words, when I didn't engage with God, when I, when I let this thing just fester within me, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. It's this whole thing. God, I engaged with you face to face. I didn't keep hiding. I I didn't keep dodging the encounter. I actually stepped forward and said, God, I need you. And I'm coming just as I am. I actually love that old hymn, just as I am without one plea, except that Christ died for me. Here I am, a lamb of God, I come. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I'll deal with my past and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, God was in wrestling with Jacob, trying to get Jacob past his past so that Jacob could step into his future. And that's what God wants to do with us in encountering us, to get us to get past our past so we can step into the future that God has with us. Reimagine what it could be. We also wrestle with the future. And that often, especially exacerbated in these times, brings heightened and anxiety. And if we're honest, sometimes we're afraid to actually trust God. 
We want to, but we're not sure what it means to surrender. And if I do, what will God do? And what will God expect of me? And where will I end up? And what about? And in a way, this is our greatest handicap because the thing that keeps us from knowing the fullness of life and power that God intends for us is our lack of trust or partial trust, incomplete trust. And when we don't trust God with our future, we tend to make some foolish decisions. And I'm not going to go around the room, you'll be thankful for this, with a microphone and say, when you didn't trust God, what did you do? Because I have my own list of confessions that I'm not going to tell you about. (laughs) But we've all got them, don't we? God speaking to the nation of Israel many, many hundreds of years later through the prophet Isaiah. But I think he's fully playing off the encounter he had with Jacob, the person, And he's tying the personal encounter to what he now wants to do with the nation of Israel. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. You might have not used those words, but God, I feel like you've lost my address. I feel like you don't care. God, where are you? God, why don't you? God, when? He says, why do you say that stuff? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. But what does he do? He gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak. And I want you to see the the key thing is this thought, You don't have to have all your stuff together to encounter God. In fact, when you don't have your stuff together, it's the most important time to wrestle with God. Jacob didn't have his stuff together. And God picked a fight with him. And I hope and pray, and I hope you hear this in the spirit of, of this message, that God picks a fight with you so that you begin to wrestle with him and come to that place of a face-to-face encounter with God. So let's talk a little bit about this wrestling match that Jacob had with God, that God had with Jacob. Genesis 32 verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak, the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord. And Jacob was left alone. I think one of the biggest challenges for us in encountering God is our busyness and how quickly we're distracted and how much we fill every waking moment with something. And it's not always easy to get off that treadmill. We have not learned the lesson of cultivating solitude because maybe we're afraid of being alone. But everything changed 
in the solitude when Jacob was alone. Because it's in the solitude that we come face to face with ourselves. And sometimes we don't want to face that. We want to avoid that. It's in the solitude that God actually shows up. When we're struggling with ourselves, when we're facing ourselves, he shows up in the quietness. I love something that Walter Savage Landor, what a name. What's your name? Savage. I'll leave that alone. He said, solitude is the audience chamber of God. Solitude. Be still and know that I am God. And in that stillness, like Jacob, we have to often embrace our brokenness. And I want to make a distinction without spending too much time on it between somebody who's been shattered by something and needs comfort and healing as against dealing with some of your own brokenness, which we often avoid confronting or facing. And there's this moment in the wrestling match where God, the Lord Jesus, reaches out and touches his hip. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled. And everything is transformed at the end of this in Jacob's life, except he will walk forever with a limp. He's marked by God. He walks, as it were, as a broken man, not a shattered person, but willing to deal with his humanity, face his weakness, acknowledge his brokenness. And we need to embrace our brokenness and not deny it or seek to flee from it. Because in God's economy, brokenness precedes breakthrough. I want you to catch that. In God's economy, brokenness precedes breakthrough. David, again, in his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And God, you will not despise that. He said, I bring my brokenness. Now his brokenness came through his sinfulness and everything else he had done and the unwise choices. What's your brokenness? And if you bring it instead of hiding, it becomes a sacrifice that God welcomes because it allows him access to the most vulnerable part of you. Psalm 147 and verse 3 and following says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Uh, Like the first part of the verse, come on, God. Just just look at that and think about that. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Next statement, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. What? You go from this intimate, vulnerable part of me to now counting stars, God, and naming them. What's that about? 
And it's an interesting connection point, but here's what I think God is saying through the psalm. That the God of galaxies, who knows the name of every star, is also the God who knows your name. Because if he can remember those stars, he remembers you. And if he can keep track of those stars, he knows how to engage with you. The God of galaxies knows your name and knows where you are. And he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The second thing that Jacob had to do was to let go and let God do something. And I highlighted this when I was reading this, that the man said, let me go because it's daybreak. And it's not like the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus is saying, uh, excuse me, I've got an appointment on the other side of the universe. I, I need to go because he's everywhere present and nowhere absent. And some of the rabbis explain that phrase as meaning, let me go. It's time for you to give up. It's time for you to surrender. We've been wrestling all night. Jacob, I'm not tired. I grow not weary, but I think you're about at the end of yourself. So stop this and just surrender. Just surrender. Jesus in Mark's gospel calling to the crowd to join the disciples. And I want you to notice the shift in intimacy. It's one thing to be part of the crowd, but he's calling us to be disciples. And I love it the way it's written. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. Follow me. How about that as a little mantra to say to yourself, I am not in the driver's seat, follow me. On occasions, I feel like saying that to Linda, you are not in the driver's seat, just follow me. <laughs> Would you pray for me? <laughs> I'm just trying to help you remember this. I'm not in the driver's seat, Jesus says. You're not in the driver's seat. You need to just follow me. It's about surrender and surrendering to God is about letting go of our plans and letting God have his way. Surrendering our will for his will. And that can be a scary moment, but God, what will you do when I surrender? The book of Romans, Paul having described the extraordinary blessings of salvation, all that God has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ says, beloved friends, what should our proper response to God's, what should be our proper response to God's marvellous mercy? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights of his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you surrender that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is reasonable worship. But that means we've got to let go of our fears, our anxieties, not just our plans. Have you ever watched a, a mouse or a hamster running inside of a wheel? I'm talking about in a little cage when you 
had a white mouse or still have one or a hamster. And the faster he runs, the faster the wheel moves, but he goes nowhere. Or she. Makes no progress whatsoever. And that's exactly what fear and anxiety does to us. We run faster and faster, trying to deal with, but we end up going nowhere. And we need to come to the point of saying, God, I'm not in control of my circumstances. There's a few things that I can do and respond, but ultimately, God, you're my Lord and Master. You hold my destiny in your hands and I'm going to follow you. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself, surrender, yield. That's what humbling is. It's bowing the knee before God. And it's before his mighty hand that he can lift you up. He doesn't keep you down. He wants to lift you up. But in order to get up, you need to go down. In order to go up, you need to go down. I need to go down. And then cast all my fear and anxiety on him, knowing that he cares for me, cares for you with great affection. Transformed by God. The man says to Jacob, what is your name? He's not asking for information. He knows who he's wrestling with his Jesus turned up pre-incarnate Christ wrestling with Jacob. He knows Jacob's name, but he wants Jacob to acknowledge who he is. And here's an incredible thing in the story. The last time Jacob was asked, what was your name? Who are you? He told a lie. His father said to him, who are you, my son? thinking it was Esau, but not sure it was Esau because Isaac was almost blind at the time. And the last time Jake has been asked that question, he lied about who he was. He misrepresented who he was. And isn't that in a sense our story? That we pretend sometimes to be something that we're not, to say this about us and we're actually not that. And Jacob had lied. He said, I'm not Jacob, I'm Esau, I'm somebody else. In this moment, I don't want to be me, I want to be him. I don't want to be me, I want to be someone else. But now with honesty, having wrestled with God, he says, Jacob. And I wonder if in that moment, and I think he did, Jacob must have felt a sense of shame admitting that he was Jacob because it means deceiver, supplanter, as he goes back and all the things he did to his brother, to his father, to Laban, to other people, living by his wits, trying to get ahead, make, trying to make progress without God's presence. But in this moment, as he wrestles with God, there's honesty. This is who I am, God. And instead of condemnation, Instead of God saying, yeah, that's who you are, you miserable thing, you need, you know, this simply says, then he, blessed, then he blessed him there. Then he blessed him there. And blessing is the reward of being defeated by God. 
And I use the word defeated, not in the sense of being crushed, but blessing is the reward when we come to the place of surrender, of yielding. Blessing is the reward of being defeated by God. And so now in this encounter, part of the blessing is to change his name, new name, new identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And I hope you and I will just embrace in this encounter, God, the old is past. Whatever is past is past. I don't want to wrestle with it anymore. I want to welcome the new as I reimagine 2022 and beyond. So Jacob called the place Peniel because I saw God face to face. He called the place Peniel, the place where I encountered God face to face. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. The rising of the sun at Peniel marks a new era in Jacob's life. And he limps past Peniel. His limp is a witness to the reality of his encounter with God. God had left his mark on him. He's no longer self-sufficient. He's no longer living by his wits. He's now named a prince with God, somebody who's prevailed with God and will prevail with people. He now walks out of the position that God has placed him and God will so delight in this that he'll add Jacob's name to his own name. I am the God of Abram, Isaac and Jacob, men who encountered God, people who encountered God. Let's encounter God. Stop wrestling with our past and bring it to him. Stop being worried about our future, bring it to him. Come with our honesty. This is who I am, God. And then hear the voice of the Father speak blessing and wholeness and healing and restoration. And yeah, you may still walk with the limp, dramatically aware of your own frailty, your own weakness. But as a son, as a daughter, of the Most High God. My question to you here in the auditorium and watching online, are you right with God? If you're not sure, I encourage you just where you are, just pray, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to my own heart if I'm in a right place with you? And you'll get an instant answer. Not of guilt, not of condemnation, but just say, no, you need to make things right. And one of the most wonderful things you can do, whether you do it for the first time, or whether you renew a commitment is to say yes to Jesus. I welcome you back into my life. 